0: Hello, food enthusiasts, welcome to another episode of the Future Foodcast, where we talk to thought leaders all about the trends, innovation, and technology that's going on in the food space. Today, we have with us S.J. Petarudi, and he is an evangelist with Salsify. He really works with analyzing consumer trends and data, and he's going to tell us a little bit all about that, but welcome to the podcast, S.J.
1: Thank you so much, Pam. Great to be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. you are an evangelist and clarify for me what you what you really do with a consumer trends.
1: Sure, yeah. Uh, it's a title that's a little unusual, but actually fairly common in the consumer technology space. Uh, so there's a lot of other companies that have evangelists. And as an evangelist at Salsify, I, like you mentioned, do research on consumer trends, do research on best practices for how businesses are managing their product data. And then with that research, I go out and I speak with our customers. I speak with prospects who are interested in purchasing Salsify. Occasionally, I'll speak at a conference or two about those trends, about those best practices, so that those business can start to apply it uh, to their own situations.
0: Right now, tell us. You said purchasing Salsify. Can you tell us what Salsify? What that would mean? What is Salsify? Yeah
1: so Salsify, we say, is a commerce experience management platform. It allows businesses to be able to manage all the data related to their products that they produce. So you think about the price of the product. You think about everything that appears on the product page for consumers to interact with and understand the value of that product. Those are things like the title. Those are things like the images on the product, videos, product descriptions, all of the ingredients or components that go into making that product. And then it's also the logistics information. So the information that the supply chain needs to understand how big is this product? How much does this product weigh? What's the dimensions of this product when it's on a pallet? So that they can make sure that they're transporting these products from point A to point B effectively. Salsify manages all of that for businesses. There's a lot that has changed in the last couple of years that has justified a need for a new type of product information management system. We call that a PIM in the industry. And we offer a platform both for the brand manufacturer manufacturers, suppliers, the types of companies that are selling products to retailers. And we also offer a platform for the retailers themselves or the distributors who are collecting that information from all of those different brand manufacturers, and then need to disperse that information out, whether it's onto their website or into their stores and on the labels or into their uh, warehouses where they're holding all of that information. So that's why we call ourselves a commerce experience management platform, because holistically, we're trying to unite all of the different needs for all of the different types of product data that goes into this growing e-commerce industry.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, all this information as Jay, to your point, you know, you kind of want to be the company of record for, for somebody who's trying to manage all their data about all their products for all of the different faces that they have, you know, they have a consumer face, they have the distribution face and the retailer and and you're trying to keep that all in a manageable space i mean let them focus on what they focus on best which is their products exactly. there's a lot there you know mm-hmm. that that e-commerce that you first mentioned uh what's on the website and and what they call it and how how all that appears that didn't used to be such a big deal but no
1: no it's certainly growing in importance now exactly
0: yeah and can we back up just a minute how did you even get Uh, Why are you interested in being an evangelist? Do you have an experience in this? How did you even get started managing all this information and working with Salsify?
1: I've always loved presenting. I've always loved telling stories. And I started my career actually as a screenwriter in the Disney company and found my way into technology and software as the need to bring entertainment values into storytelling for selling products has become closer and closer aligned, but at Salsify, I actually began as a product marketer and that was representing a product and understanding the value propositions of the product. As an evangelist, I'm not so concerned about the product and its functionality and its unique value propositions. I have the opportunity to be able to tell the story at a higher level now and i've loved doing it because it lets me speak with customers lets me educate customers and ultimately i think that's one of my deeper purposes is to help educate people and help people understand concepts that might be foreign to them so it's been a great experience and like you had mentioned so much has changed in the e-commerce industry, especially in the consumer packaged goods, CPG industry for the last couple of years, a very large need to educate. And what I'm finding is that businesses are, are asking for our help to educate either themselves, to educate their employees, maybe to educate their partners or their customers. And so this is a, a, a job that is in high demand right now.
0: Well, and from the education standpoint, I think your background as a storyteller and a screenwriter is perfect because that's how companies can really conceptualize all that you can do for them at Salsify because because it's a lot and it's really seems like it's end to end. So that that whole education piece, I mean you're really on a bit of a mission to try to make things better and mm-hmm. and have deliverables be, consistent from, from what I'm hearing you say, like you have all these verticals that a company needs to represent, but you're trying to make sure help me if I'm saying this wrong, but have consistency across their platform so that the the information is equal everywhere. Is that, did I say that right? You can say that better. I'm sure.
1: (laughs) No, you said it fine. I think what you're, what you're saying is that you have product information and that product information should not change whether somebody is viewing it on a retail website or they're viewing it on Facebook. Uh, What is unique though, and it's an important caveat about that is while you have uh, consistent information about your product, the way that every one of those digital endpoints wants to receive and display that information, that does change. And you have to be mindful of that if you really want to be successful on the digital shelf. We call it winning the algorithm. Whether you're selling on Walmart or you're selling on Amazon, they're going to have different parameters for how they're going to display the title, for instance, on your product page. So, Amazon might say that they want, and I'm just making this up for the point of, uh, to illustrate the point, they might say that they want 100 characters, and Walmart might say they only want 50 characters. So, now you have to make sure that you've got the right amount of characters going to each of those different retail sites. And Salsify has invested a lot in making that customization as scalable and as automated as possible. And that's one of the reasons that I think Salsify is a special company because it understands the nuance between having a system and a record of your product, and then also being able to have not exactly the same, but consistent and customized for all the different points where that information needs to go.
0: I had no idea as just a normal consumer that different e-commerce platforms have different requirements essentially for how they want you to give them your data. Oh, yeah. So I, as a product producer, don't want to have to worry about, am I following all the different regulations? I, I think Salsify, I think I'd be working with Salsify to say here, here's, here's what I want to say. Can you, can you fix this for me and present it in the way that's acceptable to the retailer?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and so you know we, we always have talked previously about having a single source of truth, but that's a little misleading for exactly what we're talking about. You know, it it is true. You want to have like a place that you're going to consider it to be the, the central. But instead of calling it a sor- source of truth, we actually say what salsify really does is allow you to have one central system of work because there's a lot of work and manipulation that goes into this. And so you're not talking about necessarily having a single record. There's several records of your product. There might be a record in your, your MDM, your master data management platform, or your, your ERP system, but that you're going to have a place where you can say, all right, we're going to take that information. And then we're going to go through the customization for each one of these endpoints and we're going to do it at scale. We're going to do it consistently so that we know how we're changing this information. That's really what Softify is doing. It's being that system of work for digital data distribution.
0: Yeah, that's a great service. That makes a lot more sense to me now. Now with, uh, with the advent of really the pandemic and e-commerce kind of skyrocketing in percentage of of how we do business. I mean, how have you seen that change, the CPG, the consumer packaged goods
1: industry? It's changed for the CPG industry more than virtually any other industry. Just a quick statistic for you from um, we produce a consumer research report every year, and 36% of Americans had never purchased groceries online prior to the pandemic. Today, the majority of American shoppers, 53%, are shopping for groceries at least sometimes online. And so that delta going from having never experienced an online Purchasing event for groceries to now relying on that for the majority of Americans. That's that's the greatest swing that we've seen of any industry. And what's even more interesting about that, Pam, is that for a lot of these online grocery shoppers now, making a grocery purchase online was the first time they'd ever purchased anything. And Wonderman Thompson has a really great consumer research report where you can read more about just how new the online purchasing experience is, specifically for people who are shopping for groceries. Wow,
0: I had no idea. I, I feel like we were moving in that direction. You know, more and more people or buying things online i had no idea the trajectory was that steep from 0 to over 50% with yeah. uh, with groceries and that That's just a huge number. So is that slowing down as the pandemic? You know, we're not really at the height of it. I mean, of course, we have different things going on. We're always going to have something in the world, but I feel like I don't know how much it's going to slow down. Do you have some professional insight into that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I would just start by saying that you're right. It is a very significant shift in behavior change, and it happened very quickly. We're talking about a, a span of two years here. Uh, what we did see is that at the end of 2021, people did start reverting back to their previous shopping behaviors. and So you did see a bit of a decline in the rate of growth of people moving online and people shopping online specifically for groceries. But eMarketer and several other analysts are still very bullish on the growth of e-commerce in the grocery industry. So there's estimates that in 2023, grocery is going to grow by 19% and it's going to continue at about that clip, 19%, 17%, 16% for the next five years. So this is certainly something that will never be 100%. We're never going to see uh, groceries or any industry for that matter being 100% driven online. But what you're absolutely going to see, what you're already seeing is what we're calling an omni-channel shopping experience. Consumers are, Sometimes shopping online for groceries. Sometimes they're going in store. Sometimes very often they're doing research on one channel and purchasing on another. And we're going to continue to see there be a more integrated way between being in store and being online of learning about products and then making a purchase decision, whether that's online or in store. The really important point is that wherever your information is appearing, you want it to be consistent so that consumers can build trust
0: from your perspective you want to be trustworthy and and have your consumer perceive you as honest and not see one thing on one platform something else on another platform or in person but exactly. back Back to the grocery stores now. How did they manage that? I mean, you know, I don't think uh, the grocery stores hired all of these delivery people like no. when the pandemic hit. So how how did you see most of that rolling out?
1: Well, what you saw was a, a great reliance on the delivery, the native delivery services, so DoorDash and GrubHub and Instacart. Mm-hmm. All of their businesses started to really increase, and the grocery stores were very happy to let these delivery services do what they'd already been doing. There was already buy online, pick up in-store options, but you just saw that activity skyrocket. And so you saw a lot more demand for shoppers that are going to be going through the stores on behalf of other customers and purchasing the, the delivery products for them. What you're starting to see now is as retailers are understanding that this is a permanent new way of doing business, they're trying to understand how can they do it profitably. And so I think that this industry is at a very liminal and delicate time where the wrong type of decision on how to proceed with grocery delivery and online interactions of of grocery purchases is going to make a big difference in the success of retailers and these delivery services going forward.
0: Yeah. Now uh, you're also involved in the numbers and and how people are buying and all that. So how are the grocery stores or the retailers that are using these third party? How are they finding out who their customers are?
1: Well, that's the big liability, and so I think that that's where these retail companies need to be very concerned and be very thoughtful with how they are working with these delivery companies. You know, this reminds me a lot of what Borders Books did with Amazon in the early part of the 21st century. Borders was trying Trying to keep up with Amazon. They were trying to do e-commerce for books and uh, e-commerce purchases for books. And they ultimately decided they were going to partner with Amazon to do that online fulfillment. Well, you know, Borders is no longer in business <laughs> and Amazon is doing pretty well. I think there's a great danger when you outsource an essential component of your customer's journey with your company or your product to a third-party service. Because to your point, Pam, these companies aren't getting customer information back from DoorDash and Instacart. Instacart and DoorDash have no incentive to share that information with the retailers. And over time, what you could see happen in this industry is that DoorDash and Instacart decide that they don't need the retailer to get the products to their customers. They can buy them directly from the brand manufacturer, host them in their own warehouse. We call them dark stores in this industry, and then do the fulfillment out of their dark stores rather than having their employees have to go to a Whole Foods or have to go to an Albertsons or a Kroger, do the shopping there among other consumers and then deliver them to the customer. So that's something that I think retailers need to be very aware of and be very thoughtful of. There's value to being able to just outsource an operation for the sake of ease, but there's also a liability there of of losing your customer.
0: Yeah, that's really a great point, SJ. I I mean, if you had a crystal ball, what would you recommend maybe some of the retailers that are using the third party? I mean,
1: what are their options uh, their options are that they build out an e-commerce division and an e-commerce business operation native and you're seeing some of them do this you're seeing Kroger, Albertsons and Publix they are investing in thinking through how can we do online delivery but the fact of the matter is that right now everybody is losing money when it comes to online delivery and so There's a lot to be figured out there and it's going to be a first mover advantage kind of situation. I think that the company that gets it right and figures out how they can profitably deliver groceries online to their customers, whether that's Instacart or it's Kroger, a a kind of legacy retailer, they're going to have a significant advantage in the market. And so, what they're doing and what I think that they should be doing is they're investing in things like dark stores. They're investing in things like automated pickers. But there's a lot of problems with trying to pick in an automated way with robots, somebody's groceries. We call it the green banana prop, right? Everybody has a different level of ripeness that they want to get their bananas. How, when you're online, can you delegate that to not just a shopper who's going to be going through the aisle for you, but now a machine that's going to have to try to make that decision? And that's to say nothing about the difficulty of robots picking up odd shaped things like bananas other pieces of produce. Um, The most interesting theory that I've heard so far is that rather than thinking about building out dark stores separately from your legacy in-store grocery experience, you actually build them together so that as a consumer, I'm going to go into an Albertsons or to a Kroger's, or I'm going to be ordering online. And for the products that are specialty products like poultry and and other meats and things like fruits and, and that type of produce. Somebody is going to physically be picking those out. While all of the products that are, the more traditional CPG types of products that come in boxes that are less variant in their size, shape, and ripeness, those get picked and sorted by the machines. And then at the checkout phase or at the pickup phase, that's where your produce orders and your CPG orders are sort of united. And then you're on your way with the specialization of the products that you want to pick yourself or you want to have somebody picked by hand and the ones that can be picked automatically by machine.
0: That is a really interesting proposition. And back to your current position. I mean, Salsify needs to be involved in all that to present the products online in a way, you know, however, that's going to, however, that's going to happen, but it makes sense that there would be a human that would be involved in, in picking that. Now we're kind of talking, I think with our United States based um, window, you know, that's our view. That mm. That's how we come to this. Is it different in other areas of the world?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So you're seeing things like in France, there was actually a very large portion of the population that was already buying groceries online, 61% of consumers in France, I believe. That actually went down to just over half of shoppers online that are now looking at grocery products since the pandemic has kind of taken place. Um, so you are seeing some more adaptation of online purchasing behaviors for consumers in other parts of the world, Uh, but I think that the problems of how are we getting our data out onto websites for consumers to interact with, how are we getting our products to consumers who want to make purchases online, you're seeing the similar challenges around how are we storing this this product in a way that's going to be efficient and profitable for us to be delivering it online. I don't believe that there's really anybody right now who's figured out a way of doing that profitably, but there's a lot of different businesses that are working on
0: it. Yeah, and as an extension of that, not just the grocery store, but I know online meal delivery services too have have gone crazy and they also need to represent their products online and keep track of what all the information is and and who their who their customer is i guess most of those i'm familiar with do have their own website do have their own front end portal there's a lot of delivery a lot of delivery going on there lots of boxes and you know i know i i can never yeah i had some online food delivery during the pandemic and i can never Get um, I don't have anything to do with those boxes.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know? the sustainability problem is another huge issue of this. And so you're really looking at, I think, at least three major problems and opportunities to be able to try to overcome. One is the data, getting the information out to the consumers in a way that's engaging with them, that's informative for them and consistent across all the different touch points. There's the logistics problem of trying to deliver this product. And it's very difficult because it's perishable. And because there's so many variations in the types of products that you can be selecting when you're ordering on Online, and you're having somebody else pick it up and deliver for you. And then there's the packaging sustainability problem. I mean, there is an environmental impact here of all of these products going out in these smaller boxes now. So, how are we thinking through? the sustainability factor of this. And consumers care about that. 20% of consumers now, when they're shopping for CPG product, they check the packaging sustainability before they make a purchase decision. So they're looking to see, is this packaging, not the product itself, is the packaging sustainable? Is it recyclable? Is there a way that I could even possibly return this packaging so it can be reused? Uh, So you're seeing an increase of consumers who want to, for instance, get dairy milk products delivered in glass bottles and and return them back to the retailer to wherever they're purchasing them. So that type of kind of old school milk delivery system, you're seeing that kind of come back into vote now as people are more conscious about the sustainability impact of all this online delivery.
0: Oh my goodness. You're bringing back memories of the little milk thing outside the back door. (laughs) And uh, Charles Chips used to deliver to the door as well. I remember um, some of those old delivery services, but to your point, the milk bottle was reusable and, and that was, they would come get it and re-sterilize it, I'm sure. And then, and then reuse it. That's a really great, that's a really great idea. I think you should I think you should run with that SJ <laughs> as far <laughs> okay. as, yeah, I, I would love it if I could figure out something to do besides break the box down and put it out on the recycled trash. Cause uh, you know, a lot of things are reusable. Um, There's other companies that I'm aware of that are caring about sustainability and maybe they have, you know, uh, I've interviewed some that have ready-made products like in a smart fridge or available at the airport where you can then drop off the, whatever it was delivered in and they'll, they will re-sanitize and reuse that. I mean, they have like reusable uh, packaging essentially. And then you can just drop it back off where you bought it when you return from wherever you flew to, if you were coming in an airport. So that kind of idea, I think people are starting to think that way, aren't they? Is trying to be a little more sustainable.
1: Absolutely. I mean, like any other emerging industry, there's a lot of fragmentation right now in the market. So there are businesses that are focused on sustainability with packaging. There are businesses that are focused on delivery of CPG products, and there are businesses that are focused on the data management, like Salsify. I think over time, what you'll see is that there will be consolidation in the industry. And so you might see that a delivery service and a sustainable packaging service merge together, or a packaging service becomes part of one of these larger retailers. The other thing I would say about the sustainability side of things is that that is an opportunity as a business to be able to build a connection with your customer. When the customer is returning something back to you, and there's a cycle happening, you're creating a bit of a dependency with the customer. And you're also giving the customer a sense of ownership of of the business and of the process. It's my job to make sure that you get the package back so I can get more product from you. And today, consumers want to identify and relate to the products that they're using in a much more intimate and self-identified way than they used to before. We are becoming less of a throwaway culture. We're becoming more mindful with the types of products that we're using, the types of products and how they're made and what we're putting into our bodies. And the impact is happening on the greater community. Consumers spend more time now researching on product pages. They scroll to the bottom of product pages now more than they used to two or three years ago. And so offering a sustainable practice that's going to align with customer values is a great way of being able to build up customer loyalty in addition to making your your packaging processes more profitable because you're spending less money end over end trying to just create more cardboard boxes or plastic bags.
0: Yeah. It just sounds like a win-win. And I do agree with you. Uh, Consumers are researching more. I mean, some consumers just say that looks good. I'm going to buy that when they're in the store, but others, and I kind of fall in that category. I'll maybe research something before I go. And to your point and part of your job with Salsify, right, is to get the cut the consumer to read below the fold and not just take the highlight of what's up there and get into your story about this particular product or this company or what they're doing or how the packaging is, whatever it might be that you can really develop a partnership is what I'm hearing. Like I, as a consumer buying something, but then I'm really partnering with you because I do want to support your goal for more sustainability by returning the packaging or getting that back to you. And, and it is it's a bit of a dance and a partnership that goes on there. And I'm going to be more likely to buy from you because I like what your values are and I do want to be a part of that solution. Exactly. And that's that's a little bit more
1: intangible, right? But it's it's intangible. And and listen, don't get me wrong. There's always going to be a sizable portion of the population that will look at the lowest price and they will buy the lowest price product. The fact of the matter is a lot of suppliers and brand manufacturers do not want to be the lowest priced option in the market. They do want to be the better option, the, the better built, the better quality. Quality of product. And those types of businesses that don't try to just drive down to the bottom can benefit and can gain customers by presenting more and more accurate product information and having practices like sustainability that do align with customers' values. Yeah. Consistently, we've always seen that consumers say that they are willing to pay more for a product when the information about the product that they're looking for answers the questions that they have and when the information about the company that they're buying from aligns with their values. So, if you are making that a priority of your business, you should know that consumers will reward it by choosing the higher price option, but you have to meet those first two conditions. You have to make sure you're putting the information out there that the consumers are looking for and that you are you're understanding who your customer is and you're building out your company and your products to align to those values of your customer.
0: Yeah, great points, SJ and a lot of. You know, what your whole background and and experience allows you to do is try to tell those stories for your clients so that you are connecting with the consumers and and answering the questions that you think they're asking from your research. Well, this has been a very educational session, at least for me, and I hope for our listeners. But what else is there that you might want to share with our podcast listeners before we go today, S.J.? Uh,
1: we could dive into like what winning the algorithm really means and and how important that is. This is more for brand manufacturers, but I think it's an also it's an important consideration for these retailers and for these e-commerce delivery distributors that are out there and emerging in the marketplace as well. So. We talk about winning the algorithm. And what we mean by that is that when you are thinking about your product information, you need to think about it in relation to all the other products out that are being sold by that retailer that would align to a search term that the consumer would use to find your products. So consumers, when they go on to retail websites, especially CPG and grocery websites, they are going into the search bar far more than they're going anywhere else to try to then find a product. So that 75% of consumers begin product discovery on retail sites on the search bar. And when they're going onto these search bars, they're not typing in the brand name of a product that they're looking for. 81% of search terms that are typed in by consumers are what we call unbranded. So that they're looking for things like gluten-free potato chips, as opposed to Lay's potato chips or Paleo potato chips. So again, talking about how consumers are looking to be able to self-identify in the products that they're using, you see that being played out in the ways that they are typing into these search bars. And this is why having robust product information that you are sending out to these retailers is so important because it's that information that the retail site's algorithms are looking at and trying to determine okay, you are selling potato chips. Are they gluten free potato chips? They're only going to know that if you, as the brand manufacturer or the distributor, is sending that information to the retailers. and say, ah, yes, I do see that based on the ingredients that are in this product, it would make it gluten-free. So now when somebody types in gluten-free potato chips, because that information has been optimized, it's being sent and the product, yes, appears at the top of that search result page. And that will drive far more sales than really anything else that you can be doing when it comes to managing your product data in this industry. 65% of consumers are going to choose one of the first three products that appear in those search result pages. So if you're not optimizing your data, and if you're not thinking about your consumer search terms and putting those terms into the product data that you're sending to these retailers, you're not going to be appearing at the top of these search result pages, and you're going to be missing out on the majority of revenue coming in through e-commerce.
0: Well, SJ, that's that's a bit of gold nuggets dropped for some of our uh, listeners out there if they are involved in uh, e-commerce at all and have to be the result of some searching, they certainly want to be showing up under the terms that they uh, have put out there. And if they're not doing that, to your point, they really need to be doing that. Absolutely. That's, that's a really good point. Thank you so much for adding that. And of course, all of the other great information you gave us today, just about what you do at Salsify at an alternative definition for evangelist. And, (laughs) you know, just a little bit of insight into your world we really appreciate you being on the foodcast with us today
1: well i appreciate the opportunity to talk about this stuff i always love talking shop uh, especially when it's with somebody who has uh, such an easy demeanor when it comes to having the conversation so thank you pam
0: thanks jeste
1: thanks for listening to future foodcasts future Foodcast is powered by farm to plate the leading food blockchain platform subscribe on youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry